0: And welcome to The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, it's good to hear from you, man. How are you? I'm doing so well. Happy to be here on this lovely Wednesday evening with my three best and closest friends.
1: Hmm. Who you also run a podcast with.
2: In the multiverse.
0: That's right. I think I hear a couple voices. Probably my uh, oldest friend, who's not my dad, Dave Harberger.
2: I'm here. And uh, I just want to say what an honor it is to spend these last few moments of my 30s with you guys right here, recording this podcast and then talking about Magic the Gathering. Wish me luck over the next three and a half hours as I transition from one decade to another.
0: Congratulations, Dave. You've made it. That's really really sad and scary.
2: (laughs) And beautiful. It's beautiful. I did prepare some poetry to read later, so I hope everybody's ready. And the wind down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. First, I want to introduce, though, our resident, Iceman, the one and only friend of the snow. Zach Colin <laughs> Sure. Yeah. How are we doing tonight, Stan? You said good already. All right, let's do this. Did I pronounce your name correctly this time? No, you didn't. And that's fine. Okay, great. <laughs> I had to keep that going. All right. So first things first, hello to our new listeners. We've been getting a lot of new listeners lately. And a big important thank you to everyone who has shared their support and feedback and encouragement over the last couple of weeks we're getting so many messages on Reddit and on Twitter and in person. I kind of can't believe how much people seem to like the four of us talking about i o- the I'm Gathering. honestly surprised,
2: yes. I'm honored and surprised, yes. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, special shout out to friends of the show, Matthew, Richard, and Sam, who really went not only out of their way to share their love, but truly above and beyond by giving us each thousand dollars so we made $3,000 per podcast host. Oh, really? Yeah, and, but there's one stipulation. We have to play foiled out eight whack decks with that money.
1: Hmm. Okay, okay. I
0: can do this. I think I can do this. It's wacky. We have pretty, pretty, pretty wacky. So first things first, let's dive right into some recent tournament results. And we picked this week... SCG Wooster, which happened on January 13th. First place, Amulet Titan. Second place, Is it Phoenix?
2: Third place, Is it Phoenix? Fourth place, Is it Phoenix? No,
0: not again. Fifth place, Just Got Control. Six and seven was Grixis Death Shadow, and Burn was an eighth. It makes a lot of sense to me, right? It's either Is it Phoenix decks or decks that can beat, beat the Phoenix why is amulet titan
3: good against is it phoenix Is it because it's faster than it because it feels to me like phoenix has a little more pressure and resilience and would be able to outrace amulet titan
2: yeah i mean here's here's the thing that i i think about that matchup when i was i was watching the top four happen and when i saw that it was three phoenix stacks and amulet titan i was like i'm pretty sure titan is going to take this um phoenix can't kill a um a resolved titan with one with one card, <laughs> do you run lightning bolts in that deck? In the Titan deck or in the Phoenix deck? No, no,
3: in in Phoenix. Yeah, you run four. And so, and, yeah, so okay, you have to have that and uh, a lightning axe or something. Not lightning axe. Uh, what's the card? Pay five and yeah, discard, a card or discard a card. Okay, lightning axe. So, yeah, so you have to have double removal, and that's no, not a good terrible. Feeling.
2: And you yeah, because yeah.
0: lightning axe makes you drop a card, so you're paying three, three for one.
2: Yeah, you're three. Yeah, three. Yeah, and it's exactly. brutal. Then, then they go back and get another one with another with another summoner's pact. It's um, it's really, really sure. not. It feels really like you're just not going to get there. And none of the cards that they play early are worth killing. Like it's not like you're going to kill a Sakura tribe scout or an elder or any of that with your removal. So you just kind of sit there and wait for it to happen.
0: Yeah, sure. I would kill the Azusa just because it gives them yeah. a value yeah. engine that yeah. without. You might slow them down a little bit, and it's essentially a race of a matchup, you know.
1: Yeah, so let's look at this. I mean, this, this day two is let all, yet another continuation of what we've been seeing, which is what's really surprising to me. Because when we've seen stuff like Dredge rear its head up. Um, like, is it Phoenix has for over a month? Like, you know, Dredge shows up for one week and wins a tournament or like top eights a tournament, and everyone's bringing their sideboard hate out again. And then Dredge is kind of just relegated back to a tier two, tier three uh, strategy. Is it Phoenix has been the you know, ten percent of the day two metagame, it's been multiple top eight decks for, you know, over a month now. And it seems like people are really having a hard time hating it out, which is something we're gonna talk about a little bit. But it's just, you know we see thirteen. Looking at the day two metagame, game, we see thirteen is a Phoenix decks the most represented, and then we again we see burn with ten. We see Grixis Death Shadow with eight. We see banned spirits with seven. We see Amulet Titan and Storm with five. So Storm is getting a little bit more presence than than usual um guy control with four Mono green tron with three Ironworks with three so this is kind of the same metagame we've been seeing without much adjustment um, which is surprising to me what do you guys think about that
0: something else, else i want to mention though is is it phoenix because it's a new deck and it's such a unique vehicle for a blue red plan it might also be so popular that everyone just wants to play it
2: yep I kind of feel that way actually, too. Is that I think people just want to play, they want to play their bolts and their scalding tarns. And this is a great place to play some serum visions and ops and just kind of go for it.
1: Oh, this is, this is like, this is the best crossover deck, I think, between power level and like galaxy brain that we've seen a little while besides maybe like Rix's death shadow where people are able to make decisions on almost a turn by turn basis, which is like, okay, I'm going to cast an opt. Do I want this card? Do I want on the bottom? I'm going to cast the serum visions. How am I going to scry these things? You know, it's, it's, that makes you feel like you have some power in your game, even if it's not necessarily, you know, the, the most interactive kind of strategy you at least making you're at least making decisions on a regular basis and combine that with the power level it has it's tr- it's totally appealing to at the local game store level and at the tournament level
3: yeah i think uh, a, r- a real quick interesting thing between Grix's Death shadow and is it phoenix is that we they we use this word a lot but they both play on really different access or different ways than a typical deck will play like you usually don't want to be discarding a bunch of cards from your hand in the graveyard you usually don't want to be shocking yourself and losing a bunch of life you know what i mean so it's interesting that these two big similar decks are both doing playing magic in a way that other decks inherently aren't. Yeah.
0: So Zach, you, you touched on part of what makes it strong, which is it plays around graveyard hate. And I think one of the problems that I've encountered is my opponents are playing the wrong hate cards for Phoenix or the hate cards that they're bringing in just aren't really posing a threat or slowing me down much. They just, change my decision trees.
2: Yeah,
1: Dave and Stan, I know you guys have both played a lot of Phoenix and seen it on the, you know, online leagues and stuff like that. So, you know, we really see Phoenix not going anywhere, which is again what's surprising me because people aren't really seeming like they're they're trying to combat it even though it's continually at the top tables. So, how can we and our listeners combat this Phoenix menace because we've talked about KCI last week. And, but like we said, is it's really something we don't see very often, but you know, I'm seeing Phoenix uh, and multiple players at the LGS level. So we really need to be able to think about how can we come in and have a fight against the, the, is it Phoenix deck?
2: Yeah. I mean, if we're entering a metagame where there's this much Phoenix, I mean, the deck is not infallible, right? Like it doesn't really play an unfair game. I think the the thing that's really powerful about it is that it hasn't the ability to kind of shift speed really fast, where it's kind of like I'm going to play control for a little bit, and then all then suddenly I'm going to run out a bunch of damage, or the other way around, I'm going to run out a bunch of damage, and then and then I can recover over the long term. Um, and so I think that that's part of the attraction of the deck, but eventually people are going to figure out how to metagame against that. But I think the problem is a lot of people are relying on their sideboards to meta against meta game against it and what's really needs to be done is that people need to pick different decks I think if they think that the meta is going to be this full of phoenix going forward.
1: Yeah, what decks would you suggest?
2: I mean, in my mind it's still kind of some of the stuff that we talked about in the first uh, the first podcast on here where we talked about the the phoenix deck. For me, the number one deck that I've had trouble beating is Tron. Okay. And then shortly followed by Burn. And then after that, it's kind of uh, combo decks, essentially. Amulet Titan, Storm, things like that are all things that I've had a lot of trouble fighting against because they don't care what Phoenix is doing and they're faster. Mm You know, If you're playing a deck that has creatures in it, Thing in the Ice is going to make it hard for you to outrace the Phoenix deck. If you're playing something that only has one threat and little disruption, Phoenix is just going to kind of go around or recur around you if you're doing something totally different and coming at someone like, you know, I think I've played against scapeshift a couple of times on Phoenix and that was actually a really bad matchup too. Cause there's literally nothing you can do about Valakit when you're the Phoenix player.
1: Yeah. What about, why do you think death shadow is coming back? Like I, my understanding, we've talked about this multiple times. My understanding is that basically if you strip their hands, remove their creatures, play your own big creatures and like try to outrace them, Uh, combined with like their burn strategy kind of playing into your hands when you have like a really big death shadow on the battlefield, that seems like a pretty decent strategy against them as well.
0: Yeah. I think you hit it on the head and also in game one, especially stubborn denial is backbreaking since most Phoenix decks only main deck counter spell is a one of is a charm. So you can't really play counter wars against GDS or any deck for that matter, and sometimes if they're just making really good decisions about what to prevent you from playing or what to carve out of your hand, then you just run out of gas before you even have a threat to put down.
1: Well, let's say you can't just pivot. Like, let's say you have just like one or two decks, right? And you can't just pivot into Burn. You can't just pivot into like a Death Shadow or a Tron or a, or a Valakit type strategy. How can people sideboard um, you know, if their game one strategy is not going to do it too well, how can they sideboard into strategies that are more successful against Phoenix?
0: For starters, a good strategy against Phoenix are taxing effects such as the original Thalia, Damping Sphere. I really hate playing against Kamal. Idle, uh, what's his full name? Something of the Council. The black white. Yeah. One it, black white. I
2: think it's literally something of the Council the console yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right so Idle on of the rhetoric Idle on of the great revel uh basically because they really punish your opponent for having a strategy that begs them to play a bunch of cards in the same turn usually the phoenix player doesn't have enough mana to pay that tax so right. you really slow them down and though you may not outright beat them with those cards with the exception of maybe Kambal or idol on the great revel they do so much damage, they might just kill you. Yeah. yeah.
1: What about like a rule of law type of effect too? Although oh, it's so narrow in a sideboard.
2: Eidolon of, of rhetoric, rhetoric, for example.
1: Yeah. Or like a rule of law itself.
2: I, I think those are good, but I think that honestly, um, just because for value and what the cards actually do, I think Eidolon of the Great Revel, Thalia, and uh, Kamal are better because they're all creatures that you can attack with. Yeah. as well so if you get going they do a little bit of damage or they make people delay a turn and then you can attack into that's that's a pretty powerful kind of one-two punch
1: i just don't know where all the damping spheres are like damping sphere is something i continually see as a tron like when i bring out tron i feel like i always see a damping sphere Is that something that do you guys just bring in your braids as phoenix and just always hit the damping sphere or what
0: ideally
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where, you know, you, you talked in the past about how when you're a trom player and someone plays Damping Sphere plus a clock, yeah, that's bad. And in some ways, that's kind of what we're talking about here, too, where it's the creatures that can clock a little bit of damage or deal damage as part of their tax effects are a little bit more effective just against Phoenix because they can um, – Phoenix can still manage to do some damage if they can figure out how to flip a thing in the ice or something like that. Sure.
0: And Dave, I wonder if part of why you're having a hard time with Tron is because we can't sideboard Damping Sphere and our sideboard options are limited to just having some good answers.
2: Yeah, I mean, Blood you, Moon and Alpine Moon are both reasonable answers occasionally out of out of the Phoenix decks. Blood Moon's especially good against am, uh, Amulet Titan. You know, I was watching SCG, like I said, that during the top four and um, one of the commentators, I don't remember which one that was on camera, mentioned that... Hey, there was a whole bunch of Amulet Titan here last week. Why didn't everybody who was playing Red Pack more Blood Moon? And I think it's a good question. Um, so I think that that's, that's a good way to kind of think about it. For me, the big problem that I've had, a, had the card that I've had a lot of trouble with in Tron is Life Game. So yeah. playing Worm Wyrmcoil Engine... As the, uh, as the Phoenix player is extremely, extremely difficult because if someone plays Worm Coil Engine, even if you f- have a flipped thing in the ice, they can still block it. Then let's say you manage to have two flipped thing in the ice to somehow... Um, they could potentially block it with both the, the worm coil engine and the token if it works out where they, they played it right, where they avoid getting their tokens bounced, essentially. So there's a lot of problems there. Plus, they're gaining life, so you can't burn them out. You need extra Phoenix hits. It's a really problematic card to play against for me when I've, when I've played Phoenix versus Tron.
0: So the humans players, what do they name with Meddling Mage?
2: Um, I think in my experience it has either been something like faithless looting or Metamorph- metamorphose kind of the engine cards um, but i'm not I'm not I haven't played that matchup a ton of times and I've never played humans so it's tough for me to, to say what what I would do in, in their shoes um, I think that getting flipped by thing in the ice is the thing that kills all the go wide decks or the many creature decks and that's just kind of what you're trying to avoid so whatever you can do to avoid getting flip thing in the ice against you as the, uh, the humans player, that's what you want to do. Yeah.
3: Uh, Dave, I have a quick question for you real quick. Yeah. Uh, so you struggle with Tron is molten rain, a card you would ever consider running. I see that in various red decks in the sideboards. Occasionally I've seen it in Jun sideboards.
2: I mean, I think that molten rain could be good. It's just, that it's got that three converted mana cost problem that you sort of make an exception for Blood Moon because it takes out so many non-basic lands. and it Um, sticks around. Exactly, and it just sort of yeah takes them out for an extended period of time. I think you could consider it. Molten Rain is definitely a card that is sort of... I think in in this era of modern, it's a little bit too slow to be effective, as it's turned out, just because it's 3CMC, and that's just kind of where it is. But it's definitely a card that should be on the list for anybody that wants to interact with lands.
0: So, another sideboard strategy against Phoenix are prison effects. One that comes to mind is Chalice of the Void, uh, with one counter on it, pretty much prevents them from being able to make the Phoenix in a broken single play or potentially prevents them from ever flipping thing in the ice. Right. And what I've had a big problem with is Ensnaring Bridge. I don't think I've ever won a game with Ensnaring Bridge on the board.
1: Zach, remember how you have my Ensnaring Bridges now?
3: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Ensnaring Bridge that Stan lost against was mine, or at least once was. It's a. I think Ensnaring Bridge is very well positioned in the meta right now just because of Death Shadow and this deck will struggle with it.
2: Well, and spirits to an extent. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, some other thing, you know, humans to an extent. So there there are a lot of things that kind of an Ensnaring Bridge stops if you're the person who can use that as an asymmetrical effect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll dump your hand. Right.
1: So what do you guys think about removal? Like, so remo- removal is near and dear to my heart. You know, I love casting an Assassin's Trophy or a Fatal Push. Do you think that people aren't simply playing enough removal right now?
2: I don't know. What do you think, Stan? How In the matchups where somebody's been a really removal-heavy deck after, you know, another month of us playing Phoenix here and there, do you think it's particularly effective against you for someone to be bolting and Fatal Pushing and whatever else your Phoenixes are uh, unflipped? things
0: so bolt is bad yeah bolt
1: seems slide boardable out against you
0: yeah i haven't seen a fatal push in what feels like years so i can't comment on that the most effective removal spells that i've faced and lost to is path to exile that just shuts it's a clean answer to every threat and it gets rid of the phoenix forever so dealing with that is a problem also, I played against hardened scales the other day, and once they have hardened scales out and play a Ballista, that can kill oh, yeah. the yeah. defender thing in the ice. And that's just like, well, you've earned this one, and uh, I don't <laughs> think there's much coming back from that at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what that's what you're saying. What you said, Stan, was interesting is because you're like, I don't see a lot of fatal pushes out there. And fatal pushes is a great way to kill every threat that you cast, you know, you might have to revolt it for like a crackling Drake or something like that. um, Or a resolved um, Arclight Phoenix, but that's not too challenging to do. Or you have other kind of removal pile decks that might have an assassin's trophy, or like you said, like a, a path to exile or something like that. And I think that, or even still an abrupt decay. And I think that those decks, they probably just can't hang with, a bunch of the other metagame right now and that's probably why they're not super you know they're not super present and they're not winning very well but i think something like you know near and dear to my heart lately has been hollow one you know even if it's not super great i think it's at least good but i think what people are doing is they're doing things like like one of the more winning hollow one decks at SEG this weekend you know people are moving the two total flex spots in the deck to be fatal pushes instead of like collective brutalities and in the sideboard they're running a couple of terminate and they're running more hand disruption and more fatal push to be able to combat the combo and is a Phoenix meta game right now and so that also helps against things like rix's death shadow and amulet Titan when you're able to thought seize those relevant threats out of their hands as well so I think it's I think that people need to be playing more removal when they can and also perhaps sideboarding more removal when they can
0: i like that thought i want to add one more point to removal spells specifically exiling effects i think settle the wreckage can also turn the game around for people playing against Is it phoenix since i won i win a ton of games by swinging with everything at the same time usually. If, How many decks in Modern are running that card even? Just one? Well, Spirits needs to
1: be running it in their sideboard, and I'm surprised they're still sure. not.
2: It, it was for a while, and then it kind of went... I guess the Blue-White Spirits deck, when that whole thing was being worked out, whether Blue-White or Bant was the most powerful spirit stack. Yeah, was mm-hmm. running... The Blue-White one was definitely running Settle for a while, but maybe there's just not space in the sideboard right now, or there's just some other stuff hanging around in there that needs to be optioned out.
0: Yeah, yeah. if I was on Blue-White, I would seriously consider settle in the main deck yeah i think it's very powerful and modern right now absolutely likewise detention sphere
1: i think main deck is a little bit of a reach but i think it definitely should be a two of in a spirit sideboard right now because especially because the
2: math
0: shows the matchup is not great yeah yeah i meant in blue eye control I, I i wouldn't put oh, it I'm sorry. Into the main deck spirits
2: yeah i think i think um in blue eye control it's just nice to continue to run multiple different wraths or kind of supplement your Terminus package with one or two other cards so that you don't just get totally blanked by Meddling Mage mm-hmm. if it comes up, because yeah. Wrath is, is so important. So that's that's a, always a nice option to have there, and Settle the Wreckage is definitely a good one because it's an instant.
1: Yeah. What's what's not working, do you guys think?
3: Uh, for me, Relic Progenitus is not working very well.
0: Yeah, whenever I see a Relic Progenitus, I just don't put Birds in the Graveyard and prob- problem solved.
3: Yeah, and I've I've been able to get one or two birds before, and they just have more, and they have thing in the ice, and that's part of the thing is it's not like uh, that's their game plan, and they're they're done afterwards, you know?
0: Right, and you can also play around relic where exactly if you you have birds and they're threatening the relic, you wait for them to tap out of mana, and then Phoenix has potential for broken plays where they put the bird and get it back in the same main phase yeah i mean even more
3: so if they're if you're making them hold one mana open you have a one mana tax on them every turn you know what i mean and that's they're they're playing you have tempo on them automatically
0: yeah do you think scavenging ooze is not as strong for pretty much the same reason because it's too easy to play around um i have i've played it a little bit
3: lately and i've enjoyed it a little bit i i don't think it's terribly much better than relic but i think that the life gain is very good and matters in that matchup yeah
1: what i like about scoos is it's it's it can target things so it's it's one of those things where you're not bringing it in from the sideboard typically you're like you know uh, black green rock or jund might be running three main just because they can and it has value and so that doesn't really stretch your sideboard anymore and it just sort of offers incidental value against a whole bunch of strategies not just trying to hate out phoenix
2: so how do we want to put this segment to bed? Well, Like, we what, just spent another 20 minutes talking about Phoenix.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's important that we talk about what's not working, right? Like, I mean, why why isn't Leyline of the Void enough? Like, why isn't, um, like, a Rest in Peace effect enough?
0: So my decision when I'm playing against a deck that could run either of those is taking out cards that perhaps care about the graveyard so for instance like if i was on the bedlam plan which i still don't think is necessarily wrong but maybe not optimal
2: yeah it really is not showing up in the blue the blue red decks at all
0: yeah I, i would take those out though i i have tested with bedlam and i've with the blue red deck, I've still had great plays with it. Yeah, so. sometimes it's
2: it's super busted, but the reason, but you're touching on the reason why it's hard to play, and yeah. why basically thing in the ice is a better option or crackling drake is a better option is because it doesn't just fold to some kind of graveyard hate that makes it hard to cast it for a reasonable mana cost. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, I really feel like in in this deck, uh, the phoenix has taken place of the reveler in like the previous build. Yeah, I mean, there was a a blue moon tempo deck around and the Phoenix sort of got rid of the weight and coalesced it around the going fast one mana plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I used to play blue red wizards and as a shout out to all the homies who are still running that deck, you could consider magma spray. And also I think echoing truth would be not bad as both of a play against the thing in the ice and, and some
2: birds. Yeah. I mean, bounce bouncing stuff is at least cheap and will likely buy you a couple of turns against the threats in this deck.
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing probably, right, I mean, to to put a bow on this is, you know, tax the spells, cast prison effects if you're in a deck that can run those, and run decks that are just powerful against it while not also being weak against the rest of the field, like burn, a death shadow, maybe competing combo strategies like storm, and um, Amulet Titan,
2: yeah. Can I ask you guys a question, please? So, you know, I like to say, can I ask you guys a question at the end of a segment? Is so? There's a, there's people on the Twitter sphere who are starting to complain about the amount of meta share that that Phoenix is getting. Do you think it's and even people? I've seen some people compare it to like Splinter Twin and things like that. Is this deck problematic or is this deck just popular?
0: I'm inclined to think it's popular and it's strong and it's fresh. So, those are three reasons why it might have a ton of meta share.
2: Yeah. Those are also three qualities that I think of when I think of Stanislav popular, <laughs> strong, and fresh.
0: Yeah. That's how I see myself as well. Yeah. No, good. To, I think, Dave, I'm going to look back
1: on my opinion of humans maybe about four months ago or yeah. so. And, you know, I was. I was pretty adamant that I was like these are the reasons that a deck gets a nerf, right? It's like a twelve percent of like the competitive metagame. It's you know, it's it's definitely always there. It's it's too popular, it's too resilient, it can do too much. And now we see that humans is a much more reasonable thing. And I think that, you know, right now people are probably attacking Phoenix in the wrong way. If in three months Phoenix is still at you know, 15% of the day two, then I think we can complain more loudly, perhaps even if just in two months. But I think that people will adjust and attack the deck in the way that makes the most sense to succeed.
3: Yeah, we even talked about how the the meta we went over for that GP, that it, like, the decks that are doing well are decks that beats it, right? Titan Shift, Burn, Death Shadow.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean, I, I tend to agree like I think that comparing Phoenix to Splinter Twin is pretty pretty out there just because Splinter Twin was a totally different idea, and it was a package of cards that could end up and win in a bunch of different shells. And so Phoenix right now, in my personal opinion is that it's just it's trendy. you know a lot of not a lot, but there there's a certain quotient of modern deck meta that is fashion in some ways it's a new (laughs) card it's cards we haven't got to play before and everybody you know a lot of people probably had thing in the ice and a lot and the rest of this deck essentially and then said hey if i spend 80 bucks and get arclight phoenixes they're new cards i want to try this out it's a really powerful strategy and so i think even from just sort of a popularity aspect it'll it'll kind of subside a little bit and also i think people will continue to play decks that are successful about it, against it and eventually the meta will just pivot around that but to me it's totally different than what we talked about last week with KCI where you know yada 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 all the problems that we talked about with KCI in episode 4 exactly
0: i think this is a good opportunity to take a quick break and when we return we're going to look at some ravnica allegiance spoilers and talk about why we think they're going to break into modern as well as share our criteria for evaluating new cards and whether they may make an impact on the format. Stay with us. All right, so now we're going to focus on our dive down, which is Ravnica Allegiance. And for starters, I want to talk really quick about how we look at spoilers when we consider whether or not they'll make it to modern. Uh, Dave, Zach, Shane, what are some of your criteria?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You're looking between a a card within the one to three mana range, ideally one or two mana. I think it's
2: one or zero mana, by the way. (laughs) Okay, fair. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, that's the first thing to look at. And anything that says draw a card on it as a tack on effect for something sure. at a low CMC is, is a hundred percent worth taking a look at.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause, and the reason for that is that monitor is just a fast format. It has, you know, what, what, 15 years? I should probably know this number. It has a number of years of cards to just pick the most powerful from. And so those are typically going to be the most powerful for their CMC. So even if a card looks awesome, if it costs four, you know, you you're not typically even going to be able to cast that on maybe 15% of the games you play in Modern because you might not hit your fourth land drop.
3: When you're seeing a four and five drop, what would have to push that? Like, What would that card have to do to be considered in Modern? Does it have to slot into a deck or create a new archetype if it's that that high in, You would probably need to cheat on mana potentially.
2: Sure. That was the, that was the thing I was going to say right away is, you know, the, the biggest four, or five CMC cards that I can think of that have made of a splash and modern in the last 18 months are hollow one and Arclight Phoenix. I might be forgetting <laughs> some stuff, but those are both cards that have say on them, how to cheat them into play without paying for them. And that's the other big criteria is look for cards that are, allow you to cheat them and uh, cheat them into play in some way in the text intrinsic on the card.
1: Yeah. The question you asked earlier, um, Zach, I believe was uh, I also do look for if it fits into existing archetypes and potentially makes them better. And, or if it can much, much more challenging is can it create an entirely new archetype? I think that's much, much, much harder to predict than, you know, looking at say burn or humans or Tron and saying, does this fit into that previously existing shell.
2: Yeah. And I think a, one tip for, for that, a lot of ways to keep in mind is, um, something that's a duplicate of an effect that's already in the format. So the big one that we saw a year or two ago was brawl basically, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that sure. Totally reinvented the storm deck and made it something that was way more reliable because it had an effect that was duplicate with the goblin electromancer and so if you look at things that let you stack the same effects so you get more consistency in a deck it can take a fringe strategy and push it into mainstream just because you go from four of to eight of a certain effect in a deck
3: yeah just to touch on that real quick it also has to be costed pretty much the exact same there's that pegasus that does the same effect as thalia but it costs one more mana that makes all the difference Yeah,
1: I think what's interesting, Zach, at the point you made earlier is what would you need a four or a five drop to do? And I think I'm going to quickly run down. I just thought about this on the fly because I thought about this when I was going through the um, agreements spoilers, which is like one CMC at this point, we want either a strong role playing creature or like uh, a removal spell like a fatal push. Two is where we start getting sort of more unconditional removal, like an assassin's trophy or a powerful uh, creature. Three is where you want to start getting your two for ones, like your eternal witnesses or your koligans command. And four is where you want like uh, a very game changing play or a uh, almost take over the game type play
2: or a so wrath effect. You- Honestly, yeah, exactly.
1: Great. I mean, that's a, that's like a take over the game type play, right? Is like you know I'm going to supreme verdict you, or I'm going to cast this. You know, in back in the day, like a Huntmaster of the Fells, where you're getting so much value off your four drop that it can
2: really swing the game in your favor. And five is where you want it to ferry.
1: Yes, <laughs> five is where you want your three draw planeswalker that untaps two lands. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I love the Defcon Shane scale. Of modern cards.
1: Yeah
2: <laughs> We need to we need to come up with a an actual name for that.
1: Um I like DEF CON Chain Scale, so let's we'll keep that.
2: Let's
0: roll into our top spoilers that we've picked amongst ourselves.
2: So can I can I ask a question here? Please, Dave. So, so everybody everybody has a couple of spoilers, right? Everybody yes. picked a couple. What what are the rules of engagement, Stan?
0: The rules of engagement, there's going to be a big spoiler. That we think is either a shoo-in for the format or is going to shape the format. We have our little spoiler, which we think is likely to affect modern, but perhaps less certain or its impl- implications are less clear. And then we have the cards Shane told us we're not allowed to talk <laughs> about.
1: I think, I think your big spoiler is actually, I mean, your big pick, your big impact card is actually one of the cards I said we're not allowed to talk about, but you, you defied me which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, So my big pick was Dovin Grand Arbiter. And when I started thinking about this card, I pretty much opened up a Word doc and began free writing. And I literally wrote an essay that was a page long and single spaced about all the corner cases where it's good, some situations where it's bad, and why even in those situations it doesn't look so bad. So really, I think what makes Dovin interesting is anytime I think about seeing him on my opponent's battlefield, it makes me really scared and nervous that it's either going to produce a ton of tokens or it's going to let my opponent dig through time. And once you look at 10 cards and pick the three best, they're just going to beat you on the spot. One of the ways I was looking at this card is bottom down starting with the ultimate
1: oh that's that's a real safe idea to look at a planeswalker
0: isn't that literally
1: the worst way to
2: evaluate a planeswalker (laughs) maybe not maybe not for this one though like i kind of i kind of see what you're saying here stan
0: yeah what makes him so unique to me is that he appears to be designed to ultimate easier than other walkers uh, one way to do it is by plussing him and attacking with at least one creature, which could take him to five. Potentially, if you're already winning, he's just going to ultimate the turn after you've cast Hold him. On, h-
1: how many creatures do you need on board to ultimate the turn after you cast him? Three?
0: Yeah, plus one takes him to four, and then three will take... They him. all so have to connect yeah.
2: with the opponent.
0: And then, yes. But then isn't he open to hit back? Because you just tapped out to attack. Yes. Yeah, but... At that point, he's at, what, six or seven loyalty? So so go
1: on go on about how you see him fitting in to any established decks or how you would want the new deck to look.
0: Yeah, so he doesn't look good for blue-white control because he produces Thopters and blue-white control wants to play Miracles. But I do like him in a deck potentially like Jeskai or Esper that has access to a lot of cheap spot removal. So, if you can play a couple low-to-the-ground creatures, um, creatures in those colors could include things like, um, oh, God, what's the goblin in, in Burn? Goblin 1-1? Guide. Goblin Guide. Yeah, so you could play Goblin Guide. You could play maybe some of the creatures in Zoo decks. Um, also, what is it? Tide Hollow Scholar to take cards that might threaten Dovin out of your opponent's hand or Kitesail Freebooter for the same effect. Um, I I can see a deck that's both really low to the ground, has a lot of spot removal, that plays Dovin as maybe the top end of their curve as an inevitability engine because your creatures don't have a lot of finishing power by themselves. So that's why I think he could open up a new deck more than fit into something that exists now. The few decks that he could potentially get squeezed in is some version of an Aether Vial deck that taps out for Dovin but still holds up Aether Vial triggers to cheat in creatures. Maybe in the Thopter Sword deck to help find your combo pieces or to help speed up the inevitability of that combo since the combo doesn't win on the spot, but sort of just creates a board that your opponent usually can't deal with. And uh, maybe some kind of Jeskai tempo deck that is, again, able to remove your opponent's threats while also gaining incremental advantage along the way. And not to mention, he's Bitter Blossom that mm-hmm. sticks around and doesn't take mm-hmm. life away from you. That's and, upsetting to hear. Yeah, and he's Dig Through Time. I
1: mean, here's my issue. Okay? Dove Through Time. Is, yes, Dovin Through dove Time. Oh, dove through, through Time. Yes, time. I like it. But so how is this really on plan with, like you said, some smaller creature decks like a Jeskai Tempo deck that wants to be playing things like Mantis Rider on three or wants to be playing things like, you know, Goblin Guide on one? I don't really see what he's doing to advance the game plan. And versus just sort of being a win more like I'm comparing it to, let's say hotly in a green, white creature deck, right? Where sure she could top your curve, but if you have no creatures on board, she's looking really bad at CMC four. What's Dovin doing on an empty board on three, making a thopter. Yeah. Making one
3: thopter
2: and gaining one life
3: and gaining one life. So maybe it's better than Mirror blossom. Everything about that. Oh man, you're right, Zach.
2: <laughs> I, I think this is a super fair question, Shane. I, I don't know if this is like something we're gonna answer on the podcast right now. No, exactly. I, I'm I'm buying a good amount of what Stan's saying. I think that there are people out there who are building decks who are better than us at building decks who might be yeah. looking at this card too, trying to figure out what to do with it. I think there's a lot of potent personally, I think there's a lot of potential here. Again, just because it's a three C M C planeswalker. Yeah. That Deserves a lot of attention. And, and the,
1: ultimate, the ultimate is crazy.
2: Yeah, the ultimate's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I I thought TBD? I, w-
1: I mean, I was brainstorming about it even just in Spirits. I was like, well, does this have a place in Spirits? I don't think it does because it dilutes the, no. the creature density so much. But, but at least Spirits
2: cool. has a one CMC evasive threat.
1: Yes. And that's exactly. something
2: that would really help a card like Dovin out. Right with Mausoleum Wanderer, it's got two CMC evasive threats too that already fit on plan. So it if you're swinging in with a board with a bunch of flyers, so I mean I'm not sure that I buy it as slotting into that strategy either. No. But um, it's the type of profile that seems like hey, if you want card advantage in a deck like that, this is a place where you can maybe get it because that's really what Dovin is for, right? It's for it's for ultimating and that's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I I don't, I don't think it's a crazy idea. I think that it's he like like we said. He costs three. He has an interesting ultimate. His other abilities aren't too bad. Um, he can gain loyalty really quickly in the right shell. So I'm I'm with you, Stan. I think it's got cool potential. Sure. What's your What's your small card?
0: It's another Azorius spoiler, and it is Deputy of Detention. One blue white for is it a one three two three. But it has the essentially this, it's a one three that has the pretty much the same line of text as the tension sphere. And I think this is going to be one of the first cards from RNA to appear in a five-o deck dump. Probably call, it's like a on one of and a sideboard. Yeah, but it's just, it's as good as a card that is already in modern. So we have that analog criteria met, but he's also a creature. So maybe a Bant deck playing company. Um, or even any type of like counters company decks that could court of calling for mm-hmm. it could yeah. potentially find a way to cheat this. in even if they can't usually produce the mana to cast it.
2: Yeah. I mean, this card plus quarter calling is like, seems like maximum utility. I mean, I don't know if there was a card, a single card already available that gave you this much ability no. to deal with permanence and multiple term permanence at that. In that kind of shell, it seems like a great card to throw into a toolbox shell if there's one Yeah, out it's there. just better Fiend Hunter,
3: right?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, Zach.
0: So yeah, I feel good about the cards I shared. You guys were really nice to me, and uh, who wants, to, who wants <laughs> to go next? Zach, you're up. Yeah, I'll take it. So what I think,
3: I don't think it'll have a huge impact, but I think it could see sideboard playing two bigger decks, and that's the card Cinder Vines. It's a red-green enchantment Whenever uh, an opponent casts a non-creature spell, deals one damage to them, and you can sac it to blow up an artifact or enchantment. I, at first, I was like, it looked cool and like, it reminded us of cards we talked about earlier, like Eidolon and uh, Kemball's something of the consulate. But I think for this, I think the damage is unique and cool. And I think that it's not going to stop a deck like Phoenix from playing their cards. They'll just take the three or four damage. That's fine. But we we said like they were, they're were they weak to burn. So if you can get that pressure and like that card can create five points of damage. That's better than most of the burn spells can, right? Zach,
1: uh, what's the text on Cinder Vines?
3: Okay, so Cinder Vines is an enchantment, one red, one green. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, Cinder Vines deals one damage to that player. One generic mana, sacrifice it, destroy target, artifact or enchantment. Cindervine deals two damage to that permanence controller. So yes, that's what Cindervine does. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that it's also comparable to Destructive Rev because yeah, yeah. that destroys an artifact enchantment and deals two damage as well. But this one has an added effect that you can stick it around and you're punishing your opponent for playing the game of Magic. Yeah, it could right? do more damage. or casting way. non-creature spells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you I feel like if you get one or two points of damage in, it feels better than Drev. I know that targeted removal is a little bit different and things that you can you know, you know uh, play at instant speed are different. But I just like the unique utility this offers. And I feel like both Burn and Jund could, could uh, potentially try this out and see where it gets them.
1: Yeah, I'm imagining the play pattern in Burn, right? Where for Destructive reverly you have to have it in your hand when they have a target correct but with this right. with this you can play it at some point in your curve when maybe let's say you have three or four mana up like you're 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 flooding out a little bit in burn you can stick this on the board like you said it punishes them for playing the game of magic and then when a chance artifact or enchantment does get played into the board, you can then sacrifice Cinder Vines. It also pr- want it, pr- it makes them not want to play that into the board. So you're kind of your your threat maybe puts a card in their hand somewhat dead because then you can just sack your Cinder Vines. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility than something like
3: destructive revelry does.
2: Yeah. yeah I also I mean, wanted... I... Oh go ahead Zach.
3: Sorry. I, I also wanted to say that uh part of it is it's similar to the effects we mentioned of Eidolon and Kemball but it's not a creature, so it's harder to remove. And I feel like that you really can't be
0: discounted.
2: Totally, agree. I want to
0: add that he's or Cinder vines is interesting because it's good in multiples too. Yeah, yeah. So while you probably don't want to cast the second one, you'd probably prefer a threat, what have you. Yeah, it, it, it does. It's not nothing. It's not like Blood Moon where the second Blood Moon is kind of devastating
1: and so let's 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 put this up against phoenix too since we've been talking so much about phoenix um a braid does not hit this it's not a creature that dies to their removal like eidolon of the great revel eidolon of rhetoric is it doesn't die like um damping damping sphere so this could potentially be a more powerful tool against the phoenix menace uh, than we see available to a lot of decks right now
2: you're obsessing
1: I know. about this.
2: Just buy some Phoenixes. Join the dark side with us. Well, I'm
1: about to trade the three of them. So. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. I should have known. Are uh, they Russian? No. no, they're not Russian. <laughs> I'm trading. So, Are they Ukrainian? Yeah. They're Estonian. <laughs> How I'm do you say big. Phoenix
2: in Ukrainian, Stanislav? Petitsa. Thank you. Um, so the one thing I was going to say is I don't think we should be surprised that a blue-red deck can't do anything against uh, an enchantment. Mm. Like, that's but just, that's just, yeah, exactly. Um, you can negate it. That's, uh, that's about it. But it's a you really could good,
0: maybe bounce it, right? Like,
2: depending on what you have in your deck. yet. Yeah, that's totally true. But I think it's a really good point, Shane, is that decks like that run red, hollow one, for example, and decks that run red blue, they don't have access to enchantment removal. And so it is a whole thing that is, um, going to make it harder to deal with. The other thing is, I think that this is one of those cards like, when you think about Damping Sphere, for example, and why it's good sometimes and why it's just kind of like meh other times is that sometimes Damping Sphere is great at shutting down someone else's deck. But if you don't have a way to get your deck engaged in a race or in starting to do damage to somebody, then Damping Sphere really hasn't done that much for you because eventually someone will recover. A card like Cinder Vines or Eidolon of the Great Revel or whatever, you feel like you need in a given situation. um, gives you access to a plan to win in addition to making it hard for somebody else to do what they're supposed to be doing. Cool. That's sort of the byproduct of it. No, I agree. So do do you guys think this card is going to be that much better than, um, than Eidolon just because it has the sacrifice clause to kind of bring the destructive revelry, revelry effect on board as well. Do you
3: think it's a better than? No, I don't think it's better than Eidolon. I think I would like to play it in the same deck as Eidolon, if possible. And right. I don't think yeah. uh, that Jund is trying to run Eidolon instead of this, right? Because they're casting a lot of ones; and they don't need that damage.
2: Yeah.
1: Zach, what's your uh, your small pick?
3: So that's skewer the critics. Yeah, so three damage to any target. Yeah. Uh, sorcery speed, three damage to any target, two in a red. But uh, spectacle: if the opponent's taking damage, it only costs one.
1: Yeah, it's huge. It's the first card Burn's going to have in like four years.
2: Hey, here's the thing I want to point out about this card real, real fast. Sorcery. It is a sorcery. Yeah, exactly. So I've seen a bunch of people talk about this on Twitter and things like that and just assume that it's an instant. It is not an instant. Yes. So carry on.
0: But isn't that okay for Burn? Because
2: aren't they playing like Lava Spike and stuff? Yeah, it just means that it doesn't allow you to um, it doesn't allow you to hold up mana or use mana on an opponents' turn if they use a fetch land mm-hmm. to to make the, the the um to get the trigger down the cost down.
3: Yeah, but I I think the card is good and I don't you see it and you go okay a bolt one mana that's good. What does it replace in the deck though? Is is it inherently better than lava spike? Lava spike is always one mana no matter what. This card you can't cast it on turn one for one mana unless you're playing Gutshot or something.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not going to replace Lava Spike.
3: And then you got to consider: is it better than Searing Blaze? Because Searing Blaze is we've talking about how a lot of the big decks Searing Blaze isn't that good against. Like Searing Blazing a Phoenix is not great, and it can't kill Thing in the Ice. Well, why is it not, not really? very good? It's,
1: it's still-
2: oh, Searing no. Blazing a Phoenix is very good. Are I you think. sure? Okay, oh, I'm yeah. wrong about yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've I, that's a bad play for me when I'm playing against a burn deck for sure, because they get value out of the card more than just removing my threat. It's what I really want them to do is lightning bolt, get in a position where they have to lightning bolt phoenixes. If they're getting searing blazes or searing blood out of the sideboard or something like that, they are making headway. Yeah. it's, it's me. basically
1: a two for one. Yeah. Like, but like Dave said, like a bolt is you're basically using your burn on their creatures and the recursive creatures of that. So that's not fun.
2: So uh, do you guys really think this card is going to make it a hundred percent? Like you you guys sound both both pretty enthused about it.
3: Yeah, I mean we did, the other card that I've heard consideration or seen consideration for is uh Skullcrack and I think that might be more of the correct move. The life gain isn't as relevant as it once was and I
1: Well, feel- there's not
2: a lot of Sphinx's Revelations running around <laughs> and that was the big play there, right? I
1: think you move Skullcrack to the sideboard. Um, sure. I think maybe, maybe not all four. Like I was kind of, we, I was talking um, with some people earlier today. We were kind of brainstorming, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's you shave like one lightning helix, you shave one rift. Bowl. No way. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Like I think what, what burn needs to do, what burn wants to do is cast more spells more quickly. So you want to get rid of your marginal two mana cards, which is why the first things that I would cut are skull crack and lightning helix, primarily because they, they aren't doing, they're basically doing the same amount of damage, if we're talking about just a damage race, for one more mana. So uh, Skewer the Critics just basically lowers your curve and increases your damage output. I would probably start by shaving maybe three Skullcrack and uh, a single like li- uh, Lightning Helix or something like that, or a single Rift Bolt and see how it plays. I think that you can make room for two to three Skullcracks for any deck that's going to have life gain.
2: It seems like a sound concept for how to approach trying a card like this in the deck to me
3: yeah absolutely it's there's just so many cards that do almost the same exact thing in the deck
1: yeah like i mean if if you didn't choose skewer the critics as your as your small pick it was gonna be my main pick so i'm glad you did zach oh wow yeah i I think it's great i think it's the first it's the first real upgrade burn has received since the tarkas command in dragons of tarkir stan are you eating ice cream no
2: okay are you eating ice? Yes.
1: I knew it. <laughs> really? Wow. Um, okay. So, one last question about Skewer the Critics for you, Zach, as a burn player. So, do you think it's fail-safe is still safe enough in burn? Like, you know, you have to do some damage to enable spectacle. Um, but it, you know, the worst thing, it's a 3 mana burn spell to try to finish them off, hopefully.
3: Yeah, um, I don't know. Once again, you br- it brings up the comparison to uh, Riftbolt, where I never like casting that for three. Every time I cast it for three, I, I feel like... Oh, it's oh, the worst is thing a- ever. Yeah, this is a, like, oh, this is an actively bad card in my deck. I would rather have a different card. So we'll it gets a job done cons- sometimes. Yeah, so we'll have to see how consistently you can get it for one and how cool that is to like you know play it alongside a card on turn two which it- for immediate value, which Riftbolt, as we know, does not give you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a safe inclusion. I think we'll see if it's, you know, an auto four of or if it's like a two of or something like that. Or if it or, or if it comes in and out of decks like something like Shard Volley does.
3: Sure, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I'm, for the record, as someone who's played Burn a couple of times, uh, I feel like it's more in the two of zone to shore up that Shard Volley slot than than much else.
1: I will go next. So my... Big choice is Lavinia, Azorius Renegade. And so she is white-blue for a legendary human soldier, uh, two. So she's a classic hate bear in Azorius colors. And so what's cool about her, I think, is that first she's non-symmetrical. So she's only taxing your opponent. And her text reads, each opponent... Can't cast non-creature spells with CMC greater than the number of lands that player controls. And then so she has she has some extra hosing power after that. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. So that's some interesting text I'll get to in a second. So most importantly... Um, and most obviously, right, so Lavinia continues this tradition of, like, Watsy hating Tron a lot. And so they're going to print more obvious Tron hate again with this set. So she isn't, the, like, the worst Tron hate in the world, right? But she adds to kind of, like, this big pile of Tron hate that exists in the modern world. So she makes it impossible to cast uh, your Karn, your Ugins, or if you're running, like, a sideboard or main deck, all is dust. You can't cast those off your Tron lands uh, ahead Wormcore of time.
2: Wormcore No, No,
1: Wormcore engine is a creature.
2: Oh, it's so, a creature. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. So you
1: can cast your creatures. So that's why it's like kind of, it's not game, it's not, you know, game ending. It's not backbreaking. breaking. You know, so she still allows your worm coral engines, your walking ballistas, your Ulamogs to get cast off of your lands early and things like oblivion stone only costs three to cast out in the first place. So that's still going to be castable, but she's still probably like decent enough to come in from the sideboard in something like humans or spirits potentially against drawn, but it's really hardly like this big hoser. But it's not really just an issue for Tron. So like any deck that wants to rely on, say, Mana Dorks to ramp into your collective Company or Convoke into a Court of Calling, you have to have that many lands out in order to cast your you know your your Convoke CMC cord or your collected company, you can't cast it with three lands out anymore. Um, she's gonna prevent things like an accelerated storm spell, like Gifts and Gibbon, or pass in flames. She's gonna stop that early primeval titan from being cast off your Karoo lands. She's going to stop. But she can't,
2: but it's but Primeval Titan's a creature.
1: Oh, good point. Okay, thank you. Thanks for reminding so, me. So,
2: hey, you did it to me, I do it to you. But, I mean, I, I do think this is a good thing to, like, keep reminding in this discussion is, like, hey, there's a lot of powerful things, but it's not going to be everything, yeah, so exactly. just keep in mind. This, yeah. is,
1: why, this is why, I mean, I, I like Lavinia. I don't think she's absurd. Um, like, she's not going to be main deck humans right away, right? I mean, she, like, she even, tax, she just does so many little things. Like, she's going to tax some important infect cards, like your delve become immense, or, like, you know, you can't cast your mutagenic gross or your gut shots. Right. I right? think that
3: another interesting thing is how we can compare this to Cindervines in that another category of card that raises eyebrows is negative effects that aren't symmetrical. So a card is doing something yeah. that's only affecting your opponent. I think that instantly, like, oh, is that something that can slot in somewhere? Is that something that also has another effect that's going on or something to that effect?
1: Yeah. And I think Lavinia's second a line of text is probably even more interesting than her first because so many random popular modern spells are unable to be cast. So like she stops cascade stuff. She stops chalice or engineered explosives on zero. She stops suspend spells. She makes mox opal uncastable, which stops like the KCI loop, like the one of the most popular KCI loops to generate all the mana. She stops uh, packs. She stops free hollow ones. So you still have to pay some mana. Um, so why do I think Lavinia is good is because she's annoying. She does enough things against enough strategies that allow the decks that want to run her to get their clock set up, which is something we've we've hit on in a number of our earlier discussions, which is, sure, you can mess with someone else's strategy, but you have to really be getting your gameplay set up, and I think she allows that to happen. So I think the primary place she's going to see play is going to be humans and spirits sideboard um, and you know, sideboards value flexibility. They, you only have 15 slots. So, you know, is this going to be kind of a night of autumn situation though, where people are like Knight of autumn so good. She's going to be in every sideboard that can play her as like a three, you know, three or four of, but what we're really seeing is that she's kind of a one or two of. So is Lavinia going to be maybe a one or two of in a sideboard? I think that's probably a good prediction.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's much more akin to damping sphere than it is to uh, Night of Autumn even, because Night of Autumn, you know, is really uh, just a value card. Sure. This yeah. is this is a hoser.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: So, I mean, I, I think that that sort of puts her more in that class, but still, legendary means most likely to be a, a two-off or something like that. Yeah, that's
1: fair. Sure. I mean, like, so ultimately, I picked her because I think she will see modern play. I don't think she's going to warp the format around her. I think that she does enough to see some play. And I, I really quickly want to hear is contrast her with like a, a card like Hero of Precinct, Precinct 1, who's another human. And what he people does- People love
2: this card, don't they? I,
1: I think I, people, I think, were immediate, like pretty initially hyped on it. And I think maybe people have been, the counter argument is, okay, so what Hero of Precinct 1 does is if you cast a multicolored spell, it makes a 1-1 white human creature token, right? So it's this, it's a 2-CMC creature with a 2-2 two, two body. And so kind of- Overtly, it seems like it's got some human synergies, right? So, but really, in humans, there's only twelve main deck cards that enable it. So, the, the multicolored humans of meddling mage, reflector mage, and mantis rider, and hero also requires these cards to be cast. So, aether vial doesn't uh, count as a cast, so that's also not going to trigger it, right? So it's like maybe something like a like old school little kid Abzan where it's like a Wiltley Leech type deck, but that's that's why I was picking Lavinia over something like Hero of Precinct One and kind of like that's why you need to look at a card and see, you know, does it fit into the existing strategy of humans? I don't think Hero of Precinct One uh one does, but I think Lavinia does. Um What are your guys' thoughts on Lavinia? I know that she was one of the earliest spoilers when people were going pretty ham about her.
0: I like Lavinia a lot and had you not picked her, she would have been on my list of potential picks as well. I really like the way she plays with Spellqueller.
1: Yeah, certainly a fun idea, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's definitely the
3: best case scenario. Would you in a deck like that, would you replace Thalia with this card or no?
1: No, I think Thalia Thalia is very surgical. Do you know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. And and Lavinia is is a little bit too broad. Um, so I think you always want Thalia's effect, especially in a deck like Humans, that runs like pretty much no spells. It just runs a pile of humans. And so it's, all, it's all basically a non-symmetrical effect in a deck like Humans.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's that new Bant kind of human-esque deck, right? that runs spellqueller and also some of the humans, but its mana is a little bit better because it's not trying to reach over into Mantis Rider and stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's a chance that if you're in a deck that is set up like that, you know, maybe maybe Lavinia does make it in the main deck just so you can do some shenanigans with um making spellqueller into a hard counter, basically. Which would yeah. be insane. I mean it's like a really it's like the cheapest Mystic Snake. Hmm. Right?
1: Yeah, that flies. So right. <laughs> um no, so i mean i'm I'm excited for Lavinia, like I said i think she's I think she's flexible enough, but also sometimes that flexibility could be a little bit too broad, and it's not really direct enough, like you mentioned Zach like Athalia, so we'll see i but I think that she will be she will see some play um my smaller pick is tithe taker, who is another human, he's one in a white, and uh his text reads. During your turn, spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast and abilities your opponent's activate cost one more to activate unless they're mana abilities. And then the important part, like that that text is whatever. The important part is the afterlife one. When this creature dies, create a 1-1 one, one white and black spirit creature token with, with flying, and it's a 2-1 body. So I'm not really... Entirely convinced that Tithe Taker is less likely to see regular modern play than Lavinia, but I think that it slots more directly into some decks, like the various taxes decks, which aren't uh, very powerful right now, but I think that it kind of just goes right into a few slots
2: there. Um, I mean, this one thing to just draw a big red circle around here is that this says spells your opponent's cast. Yes. It's not non-creature spells.
3: Yes, exactly. Good, good, It's case. only so during it's your like, turn, so that's not a, quite as good.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So it's basically going to be non creature spells. Yeah, no
3: yeah. one's flashing and creatures. Well, we, I guess we, we did just talk about uh, Spellqualer. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, like the first obvious comparison is with Grand Abolisher, which is this 2 2 for a white, white. And that doesn't let your opponent cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments on your turn as well. But I think the the creation of the spirit token through the afterlife, uh, I think, is what gives it a little bit of added value that will allow it to see some play. So it makes it great against removal and sweepers, you know. So it could probably see some play in taxes builds. It has good synergy with other hate bears like uh, Leon and Arbiter, Thalia. Uh, you know, it fights the removal with the spirit token. So it could see some play potentially in humans where it could replace something like militia, militia, bugler. So that costs three anyway. And so instead of two like tithe taker and it does more for the disruption plan along with Thalia, uh, tithe taker does. And so, and I think that again, that spirit token can really contribute towards, you know, finishing off the opponent in the air. um, And again, of course, it has some place in taxes decks, but those decks really aren't really powerful right now. But I think it's going to be a main deck inclusion of those along with potentially that that sideboard playability of Lavinia as well.
2: I mean, I think that was a great breakdown of Tithe Taker. I'm not sure where it's going to fit in, but perfect for a small spoiler. Yeah, okay. I think
0: it's interesting that you said he might replace the... Bugler. The, th- the Bugler, because when you said that, it occurred to me Bugler was an obvious fit for the deck when that card came out, but that card wasn't there when modern or when humans first entered the format. So he is probably more flexible than perhaps the deck's current reputation would suggest.
1: I mean, mana cost is mana cost, right? And like Tithe costs two, the Bugler costs three. So he's easier to get onto the board. He also, like Bugler is kind of good against removal decks already, right? That's kind of the concept is to help fight against removal. And the potentially having your, there's a little spirit token in the air might be good enough to, to also fight the removal while costing less while also taxing your opponent, which Bugler doesn't do.
3: So I'm curious. We'll see. Do you think it'll help make black, white spirits any better? Does that deck want this card? Because they don't have, uh, there's a turn two play before that was usually uh, the enchantment uh, that gives them uh, plus one, plus one in Vigilance. Yeah,
1: or they could play the front half of their Lingering Souls cost three on the front half. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: So maybe Hand Disruption and something, but so is this a better turn two play for them? Because it does leave behind a token.
2: I don't know. What do you think, Zach? Do you think it fits?
3: I think it's interesting in that that's like a deck that's very fringe in tier four and that we don't talk a ton about, but I feel like it's only a couple cards away from being back into the fray. And I feel like this is a tool that is good. And it's good that they have an attacker that taxes. And they they if it dies, it becomes a two, two vigilance usually. And I, I don't know if that's inherently better than what they're doing right now, but I feel like it's fine. And it,
2: I mean, it adds a little bit of disruption to have a different plan for them. So maybe.
1: I, I think it's interesting what you say, Zach, but it's like right now they don't even run things like um, raise the alarm which is this, sure. the same, they don't, then that's the same CMC. Like their, their, their two spot is actually really bizarrely kind of empty. Um, I think they're kind of relying on maybe casting bitter blossom there, or like you said, intangible virtue. So I don't know if they really care about having more two drops or if they just kind of re- want to rely on. Um, Spectrum procession. Yeah. They're more powerful yeah. drops in the future.
0: You could probably, makes more sense. Uh, I'm looking at a black whites list on channel fireball. That we're look, they we're, did. Looking at, yeah, were looking at the same one. Yeah. So maybe replace start to finish. That seems a bit weak.
1: Yeah, I wonder why they run that.
0: I think start to finish is just nice because it's an extra removal spell. Yeah, it's a good point. Dave, I'm really excited about uh, your picks because I think I
1: know
2: what they are. So, yeah, I mean, you guys had a lot of, like, rationale. And I think that what I did was I basically I looked at the spoiler and I looked at all the cards that cost one or could cost one and picked two that I thought were the best. From that list and said, these are going to make it. These are going to make it in modern. Mostly because I, I, I didn't find anything that looked com- really, really broken in this set. And I could be wrong. You know, we're not going to talk much about Electrodominance or some, like, weird combo cards like that. Maybe that'll be something that really hackle people at some point in the, f- the format. But my first spoiler is the m- most awkwardly named new modern staple, Pateramander.
1: Patero. catamanda,
2: Yes. And so I'm going to read the card. And what this card is, it is a 1 blue for a 1-1 one one flyer, which is a, better known as a Flying Man from Arabian Nights. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I remember for a deck back in back in the day paying like $8 to get uh, Flying men because you couldn't get Arabian Nights cards. But anyway, um, so it's a 1 blue 1-1 one one flyer, but it has 7 blue Adapt 4. With the rider, this ability costs one generic mana less to activate for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. Hey, what deck likes to put a lot of instants and sorceries in the graveyard right now? Oh man, anybody have a guess? Every five
3: minutes on this show, we keep talking about this deck.
2: I know It's Well, we can't get away from it. It feels like it feels like somebody has re, at uh, the play design group at Wizards of the Coast has really been wanting to push us towards. Uh, just uh, an instant sorcery payoff deck in modern, and and in standard for that matter. I mean, there's everybody knows that there's an there's a deck that pays that off really well in standard as well. But um, it just feels like this card pretty cleanly s- slots into consideration for that third threat slot. In is it Phoenix? What do you guys think?
1: You know what the best thing about this card is? Is the uh, Simic watermark?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I just think that this card is like a new a- additional cheap threat that you're almost – I mean, here's the tricky thing about this is that it basically has a similar payoff to Bedlam Reveler, right, where you get a big threat, you get it for really cheap. It doesn't have the card draw that Reveler has on it, but it does have the downside that Reveler has, which mm-hmm. is basically, hey, if somebody's really attacking your graveyard with Leyline of the Void, you're just never going to be able to use this thing for other than as a flying man. Yeah, they even sell. a card like
3: Relic or the not as great graveyard removal we talked about earlier is still good versus that just because it's getting rid of anything in there.
1: Yeah, I was right. going to say, how does this compare to the Crackling Drake? Right now, that sees a couple, you know, a couple. It'll be in there a couple times, and it doesn't die to a non-revolted fatal push. It it doesn't have, uh, it's it it fights. It doesn't die the lightning bolt. It fights through a graveyard hit really well. It doesn't require you to have anything. It doesn't require you to take a turn off or some mana off to adapt it.
2: Right, but the thing is, you can probably flip this on turn three. Sure. Not flip it. You can probably adapt it on turn three in the right circumstances. Now, Stan, you've been testing with this card a little bit, right?
0: Yeah. I've only played Goldfish games with it just to get a sense of how fast I could realistically flip it and also what it's like if my opponent is playing Graveyard Hate. And I don't think I'd want it in my deck post-board. Right. Although, unlike Bedlam Reveler, which is practically uncastable, postboard at least this will give you a one one for one and potential discard fodder for faithless looting right so that if your opponent's playing slow graveyard hate you may find a window to activate this or if not then you just drop it to faithless looting or play a one one for one and i don't know hope for the best
2: try to hope for the best so what turn do you do you have you when you were gold fishing, did you get to activate the adapt trigger
0: on average, uh, you could realistically do it by four, and on some really broken plays where you're either already flipping a thing or also getting back phoenixes, turn three is, is possible. Your resources get pretty tight at that point, because either you're spending your mana on a 5-5 five, five flyer, or you're spending your mana on the 3-2 flyers to get them out of the graveyard.
2: Yeah, yeah. But you get into a state where it is possible to pay for it by turn three or turn four. I, I think the one thing that's interesting about this card is that it plays a little bit of a game of chicken with with damage-based removal. Which is basically like, hey, if you're going to try to bolt me or you're going to try to do something that just kills, kills the, the card when it's a 1-1, one, one, you get you leave up that threat of activation to try to make them keep mana open for as long as, as possible. So you sort of get to disrupt their flow a little bit by just daring them to target it or daring them to tap out so that you can then activate the Adapt trigger, which I think is a little bit of a mind game that you can play with this, which is kind of a fun side sideline of this card. Don't you lose a little bit
3: of tempo doing that, though, by having to hold that up constantly?
2: I mean, the question is who loses more, Sure, I guess, right? Like, if you have some other threats going or you're able to go ahead and and cast uh, one mana spells, and they have to cast more expensive spells, then um, I think there's a little bit of play there. Okay, that's fair.
0: What's going on in the art on this card? What's that big blue orb? <laughs> the orb.
2: That's what lets him fly. It's like a balloon uh, attached to him. I will say, do you guys want to know one one theory I have about this card, though? Is that... Um, so I think this card is powerful and has a decent shot to see play. I feel like they wouldn't have named it such an awkward name <laughs> if they knew that it was going to be a highly played card in modern, but uh we'll see, I guess.
0: What's your what's your small pick, Dave?
2: So, my small pick is kind of one of my favorite cards from the set and one of the the um first also one of the first cards that was spoiled and that's Light Up the Stage, mm-hmm. which is another card that I think people are going to talk about fitting into decks with our favorite card, Light Phoenix. So I'll read it. Uh, Light at the stage costs two generic and a red. It has spectacle red, and it says exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. It is a sorcery. Um, I think that this card slots very well into any deck that is trying to trigger Phoenixes that does not have blue, basically. Oh my God, more Phoenix talk, so, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I do think that this that's where this card fits in the best. I think that there's a lot of people who have said that this is an exciting card to try to slot into Burn too. but I don't think it really is a fit for that deck because I think in Burn, you really just want to draw as many Lightning Bolts as possible, and card advantage is kind of like it is what it yeah, is.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think you want um, to dilute your strategy with this.
2: Right. But I think in a deck that occasionally wants a little bit of a kick or some extra resources out of it, I could see this going into something that... Uh, like a hollow one strategy basically was what my first thought was when I saw this. I think that, um, especially since it lets you save up cards for your yeah, that's next that's what's turn. good about it, right? Right, exactly. So I just think that to, you know, this is a card that gets reduced down to one mana and lets you draw two cards and you have access to those resources for an entire turn. In modern, you're most likely going to get to cast those cards. So there might be other strategies beyond that that are just kind of like val- aggressive decks that want to pile on a tiny bit of card advantage that would take advantage of a card like this.
0: I, I want to push back a little bit. I'm nervous in Phoenix and perhaps other decks that exiling is a liability. Because if you exile a creature, then you might be boned. It reminds me a little bit of Abbot of Carol Keep, which I think is a card that on its face looks like it could be playable, but essentially didn't amount to much. Well, it did
2: in in standard, though, number one. And also, Abbot of Carol Keep didn't give you access to it for an entire turn after that.
0: Right. I, th- I, I think the longevity of that effect is what makes this card potentially playable. Yes, that's the only good yeah. thing about I just it. get really nervous. I just get nervous about the exile clause.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I don't think you should. I think that this is a little bit in that zone of, um, you know, you're probably going to cast this late enough where you might be playing, um, where you might get a chance to hard cast a creature that gets exiled right. from that. And also potentially, you know, maybe you're okay if you if you exile a creature there because it helps you draw into spells when you really want spells instead. But that's why I think that to make this card work, you probably need to be in a deck that wants to play Lightning Bolt, wants to play um, Gut Shots, and probably wants to play um, the Madness Lightning Bolt that I'm suddenly blanking on the name of too, which is why I think of um, the Hollow Phoenix deck as maybe the place to, to go with this because you can kind of... Um, have reliable sources of damage both incidental and on purpose that you're okay just sending at your opponent
0: yeah the card you refer to as fiery temper
2: yeah fiery temper it
0: it seems like that's kind of a non-boat with this right If, if you're exiling fiery temper to light up the stage that card is gone or you're paying three for it
2: yeah it's more it's more on the flip side where you are already playing discard effects and so you're Basically, fiery temper always gets pointed. It's always burn that goes to your opponent. So it makes spectacle possible. I see. I see what to you're use. Yeah.
1: So, guys, um, what? So, our picks overall are what? Dovin, Grand Arbiter, Deputy of Detention, Cindervines, Skewer the Critics, Lavinia, Azorius, Renegade, Tithe Taker, Pateramander, and Light Up the Stage. I think those are all cards i think those are good picks i think it's a good short list
0: yeah i think some of the important takeaways is uh black is strictly unplayable
2: <laughs> yeah i didn't notice that that's true
0: and arclight phoenix still the best deck in modern
2: <laughs> number one
0: podcast for arclight phoenix yeah the Light pod <laughs> all right so we're going to take another quick break and when we return, we're going to jump into the wind down, the last and best segment of every episode. Stay with us.
2: I'm surprised you guys hated hated my two uh, picks. How did we hate your two picks? You guys were like, those are bunk.
1: No, I think... What? Everyone likes uh Pateromander.
2: <laughs>
3: I try not to talk about spread as much as I can on here, so I, I, I didn't want to say yeah, yeah. I was considering light up the stage in there, because then you, you know, sure. I try every red card in
0: there. That's not very right, for so the record. I'm I'm pretty sure when pronouncing, Pataramander, you don't say the P. We know. Oh, I thought it was the T is silent. Yeah, no, no, it's it's. <laughs> Para, paramander. <laughs> paramander. Oh man. <laughs> For the wind down, Dave and I and Zach have had some recent LGS experiences, but more important, Shane is coming to Chicago.
1: Oh, man, I cannot wait. Uh, coming in for Dave's birthday weekend. I've known Dave since I was six, so it seems to make like something you're supposed yes. to do. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be dope. We're going to have some cards, uh, drink some brews, eat some Chicago pizza. It's going to be great.
2: I'm looking forward to it, too. Not to. He's not the only one.
0: Yeah, so Dave, what have you been playing lately?
2: So I, this last week was pretty busy. I only managed to get in one league this week, and that was with Hardened Scales. And um, it's a really cool deck, and I will definitely be trying it again. I only went two and three. Um, It was like walking into an entire new universe for me because I have never played a Mox Opal deck before. I've only watched people play Affinity and things like that. And so this deck has got a bunch of triggers and a bunch of different things. I think I had some pretty bum draws. I had multiple draws where my only artifacts were like three Mox Opals. So it wasn't the greatest test run, but there were definitely some moments where I was playing really big walking ballistas early and just pinging down people's boards and then swinging in with stuff. So um definitely going to try it again. It was a very cool deck.
0: And, and, and Zach, you've been trying a different twist on your typical scred list right yeah
3: i've been doing red green i really want to play a uh, blood braid elf i think it's a, a really good card and uh it's good in the i don't know it's always fun to two for one right so that's been that's been fun i've had mixed success with it uh modern's really fast and i think that i've been holding cards that i should have played and i'm just the data time
1: what's the what's the concept of the deck? I looked at the, your list. It's kind of just like a it's like a big red, green, mid-range kind of list, it looks like to me.
3: Yeah, it's just red, green, mid-range. You have ramp in there, and then you have uh, blood moon, uh scred for spot removal. Oh scred, really. And, oh
0: okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I play that deck. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on this podcast before. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I, I I love that you play that deck, and I think you represent the voice of the people who have maybe one, maybe two modern decks and that's all they play every once in a while or it's all they play because they want to get really good at it. So although we talk about a lot of different decks in the format and we don't spend a ton of time on what we often refer to as tier four, those people listen to our show too. And I think, yeah, so Scred uh, is not a bad deck and you're not the only person I know who plays it. Shane, you got a buddy over in Denver who does quite well with it as as well
2: oh yeah he's liking it a lot too um i also want to say one other quick thing is that it may not be apparent from from when we're talking on here but i think that zach probably plays the most of any of the four of us as far as just matches of competitive magic logged per week i would guess that you're the i would guess that you're the leader there
3: Yeah, I go at least once a week, and then I play Magic Online as well. I have my exact build that I have uh, in Paper Online. It's grinding it out, man. I really like
2: the deck. (laughs) And you do well with it.
0: Yeah, thank you. In both venues. Yeah, we'll We'll do a future dive down on, on Scred, I think, because not just as service to Zach, but it's a real deck that people do win with, and it has won a GP at some point of Modern's history. It's why Scred is now kind of an expensive card. So I I think that it deserves a little bit of attention in a future episode. We certainly don't look down on Zach for maxing it out. (laughs) (laughs) Stan,
1: what have you been uh, doing at the LGS? I know you played this week.
0: Yeah, so I got off blue-white and not looking back. And then I just went... You got
2: right off blue-white. Bye. Yeah,
0: um, Soldier your fairies. Keeping them sleeved up just to have an extra modern deck to give to people. But I went back to Arclight. Blue-red are my favorite colors to play in Modern. And I've... In all my history of playing Modern, I've never been pl- I've never played the best or the most popular deck ever. Like, when I got into Storm, was maybe at its height, shortly after Baral was printed. And even then, I don't think it was the top deck on Goldfish. And for the last year or two, like me playing various shades of Blue Moon and even Green-Black Elves and Blue-Red Wizards, etc. It was always me trying to kind of keep up with the more established strategies. So now that I have my finger on the pulse, I'm trying to get as much store credit out of it as possible. It, it, the deck is so good. I, my win percentage is at least 50% most of the time. So yeah, play it while you can, man. Play it while you can.
2: I, for one, welcome our new feathered overlords.
3: <laughs> beautiful. Mwah, beautiful. Stan, do you think this podcast is
0: directed at people who are grinding for store credit? I think that might be at least half of our listeners but hey if you're hearing us talk about this and you've made it through the end of the episode we want to hear from you and you can reach us through twitter at the dive down or on gmail the dive down at gmail.com or if you see us on reddit we want to know more about what our listeners are playing what they care about things they want to hear about because we're paying attention to all of it. We want to make this as fun and valuable for you as it is enjoyable for us. Don't be shy. Even if you think we're jerks and aren't funny, we still want to know what you think. So but
1: we're very funny, so.
0: I certainly am. I would like to be told that
3: I'm funny. I would really appreciate that. Yeah, please add <laughs> me. Guys, I can't wait to see you uh, this week. It's going
1: to be a lot of fun to hang out this weekend, uh, play again in real life, and chit-chat about Modern and probably some other stuff here or there, I suppose.
0: Yeah, we'll take a group photo once we're all in the same place so that people know what we look like. I don't and want people to know what we look like.
2: Oh, man, you can see how st- short and stout I am compared to the rest of you guys. <laughs> Perfect. What, what great self-esteem for my 40th birthday. Short and stout and gray Dave. He's a big daddy. He's a little big daddy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the daddy. All
2: right, guys,
0: this was fun. <laughs> Let's get out of here. All right. Bye-bye.